0: Well, last week, uh, for those of you who are here, I began a, a two-part sermon series titled How God Calls Us to Live. And while the title may or may not be catchy, it certainly represents something that many of us who are people of faith struggle with. You see, I believe most of us here today want to live in alignment with who God is. I believe we really want that, especially for times such as these. Said another way, I believe that we strive to follow Jesus because we seek to live lives that mean something, that have a purpose, and because we have likely experienced, at least at some level, that when we live the way God would like for us to live, that life is better, richer, more stable, more values-driven, and we begin to get in touch with who God means to be at our deepest level. And my hunch is that most of us here today want to live right and do good, make a difference, and leave a legacy that brings joy and fullness to the lives of those that follow. I also think many of us here today are enormously grateful to God for giving us life to begin with, for forgiving us, for giving us eternal life, for blessing us, and for pointing us to what everything is about ultimately anyway, which is love itself. So the question, how does God call us to live, I think, is enormously important in my view, especially in this time of national crisis, when this country is filled with so much venom, division, hatred, and violence. My hope is that this short series at least will touch on some of what the answer is to the question, how does God call us to live? And so I want to continue by very briefly touching on some of what I talked about last week just to get us set up for this week. You may remember that at the beginning of my sermon last week that I invited a variety of people to put on brightly colored lenses. And when I asked each person how the world looked to them, each person responded that things appeared to be precisely like the color of the lens they were wearing. So the person with the red lens said, well, everything looks red to me. The person with the blue lens, everything looks blue to me, and so on and so forth. And without doubt, as we pointed out, the color of the lenses that those people had on determined the color of how people saw things. And when we have a set of colored lenses on, literally, it can be hard to imagine a different color. And all of this, as I said, I believe is an apt metaphor for something vital in life, and that is that whether or not we are aware of it, you and I each make conscious choices, or not so conscious choices, about what lenses we wear in life, and the lenses we wear affect everything. Like the lens that says things are going to work out in the end. Or the lens that says, no, things are really tough and it'll never change. Or the lens that says Republican, or the lens that says Democrat, or the lens that says Coloradan, or the lens that says Texan. All of our lenses affect our relationships, our emotions, and our outlook. So in response to the question, how does God call us to live, I suggested that I believe that there is one particular lens that God invites you and me to consciously choose to put on every day, and it takes conscious effort. It won't just happen. It has to be intentional. And the lens that I'm talking about that I believe God wants us to put on, as you may recall, is the lens that says everything in my life, about my life, everything in this world is God's. Said more simply, it's the lens that says it all belongs to God. And if my life is spent embracing, trusting, and living by the idea that everything belongs to God, my life will be very different than if I kind of or sort of or once in a while, live by that truth. The notion that everything belongs to God is all over Scripture. We heard an example from today's reading in John's Gospel. Now, last week, you also may remember there's a powerful word that I discussed, that it's a word that's often misused. It's a word that's misunderstood. It's a word that people think is just about money or a church asking for money, and it's not. And the word I'm talking about is the word stewardship. Stewardship is a life-changing principle that you and I can choose to adopt each and every day. Something that will upend our lives and how we come and how we show up in the world. Stewardship comes from a word that means to manage or care for something on someone's behalf. To manage or care for something on someone's behalf. And your life and my life reflects what we believe about stewardship. Does everything and everyone in my life belong to God, and therefore, am I managing everything in my life on God's behalf, or does God entrust me with just some things and some people some of the time? Well, today I'd like to look for a moment at some, very, at some specifics, and that is that what stewardship might look like in various areas of our life. Let's briefly explore what it means to be a steward of ourselves, other people, children, family members, spouses, friends, vocations, time, and money. And obviously, I can touch very briefly on these. And there's clearly more to life, but that's what I want to just touch on briefly today. First, a quick caveat. And I mentioned this last week. None of what I'm talking about is, make, is, is intended to make you or to make me feel deficient, guilty, or less than. The goal is not to diminish who we are to make us feel bad. The point of what I'm talking about last week and this week rather reflects an upbeat, wonderful, exciting, and loving invitation from God to work with God's help at becoming His stewards, knowing that as a result, our lives will be amazing and that we will live the life that God intends for us to live. So let's begin now with taking a glimpse of what it means to be a steward of ourselves. Now there's a lot here, but what I want to focus on briefly specifically is that stewardship of ourselves includes taking care of our bodies. I love what Paul writes. He said, remember that your body is a sacred place, a place where God's Spirit lives, the Holy Spirit. How many of you in the morning, when you look in the mirror, say, I'm the place where God's Spirit lives? Well, I struggle with this at times, because to be honest, I, like so many other clergy, don't always make choices that result in me taking care of my body, as if God is living within me, and that my body really begins, belongs to God to begin with. And when I think about this principle of stewardship, I believe that God intends for me not to get down on myself, but rather to get motivated with a lot of help from God to take, get better care of myself. Exercise, eating right, resting well, taking time off, etc. And so I ask myself the question, and I invite you to ask yourselves the question, are you caring for your body as if you're caring for it on God's behalf? Being a steward, however, of my body doesn't mean just taking care of my body. It means taking care of the bodies of others. That's why violence is the antithesis of God. Because everybody else's body belongs to God, too. And this can range from being intentional about what I serve other people to eat, to how I encourage people who are struggling with health in their own journey. If we have a friend that's working on getting in shape, do we say, God, it's great you're getting in shape, how can I help you? Being a steward of our bodies can also impact our buying habits. Do I buy or support entities that ultimately work to the detriment of my physical health or the health of others? God invites us to be stewards of our bodies because our bodies belong to God. What about being a steward of other people? This is a tough one. If everyone, if every human being carries the spirit of God within, if God is love And the point of everything is love. If every single human being belongs to God. If Jesus was serious when he said, people will know you are my followers by how you love all other people. Think of that teaching in light of our rhetoric. Was Jesus kidding when he said, Love your enemies and turn the other cheek? Or was he just being flippant? Was Paul serious in his letters when he said, Help those who are down and out? Help those who are down and out. Don't curse other people under your breath. Cry with other people when they are down. Paul wrote, Make friends with nobodies. Don't get even. And then Paul also writes this, which just crucifies me. Don't make life more difficult for any human being. Was Paul kidding? Was Jesus kidding? If they weren't, then I know that I, for one, have a lot of work to do. You see, being a steward of other human beings includes not only how we act... And what we say, but what we feel in our hearts. And this area of stewardship compels each of us, I believe, if we're going to follow Jesus with intent, compels each of us to ask, are my actions, are my words, is my heart filled to the brim with empathy, compassion, and love for every single human being on this planet? Are such things the foundation of how I relate to people in my life? To what extent do such things affect how I respond to those with whom I disagree, to those people who feel threatening, to those of all other faith traditions, to migrants and immigrants, to those living on the border, to those living on the streets and addicts and prisoners, and those whose lives are a total mess? Is my response to each of these entities one of love and compassion and empathy? If not, then I'm not treating human beings as if they belong to God. Jesus frequently calls me to open up my own eyes and to put on his lenses when it comes to relating to other people. And you can tell I have a lot of energy around this topic. I am so much struggling every single day because I I see so many Christians talking and behaving in ways that cause me to mightily pause and say, what about Jesus? Is this what Jesus would say about other human beings? Our national rhetoric on all sides is not consistent with Jesus. And our response can only be to become stewards of every human being that we meet. The flip side of this, of course, is that the more we treat people as if they belong to God, don't, not only will our relationships become more joyful, if I see the presence of God in you, I'm filled with joy to see that presence of God within you. Our relationships will become more joyful. We will experience... Greater peace and unity and freedom from judgmentalness. I'm sick of my own judgmentalness. We'll release tension and frustration. We'll be the presence of God with other people. We will move toward having the heart of Jesus. Then there's the whole subject, if that's not enough, of being stewards of our marriages. While there's much to say here, perhaps the most important idea to remember is that our marriages don't belong to us, they belong to God. A marriage is never a duo, it's a trio. A trio in the sense that God is in the midst of marriage, all around marriage, and a central part of marriage. So when we are relating to our spouse, what we are really doing is relating to the presence of God within our spouse. And when two are married over the course of time, some of you know this, there becomes this third entity called the marriage itself. And so over time we relate and care for not just our spouse, but for this thing called the marriage, a place where God resides. So the question becomes not just what is good for my spouse, but what do I need to do to relate to the presence of God in the midst of my marriage? A quick caveat. I realize this is an immensely painful and difficult subject for many. I understand the deep and profound heartache of marriages that dissolve. I'm very sensitive to, and I fully understand, that sometimes marriage doesn't work. I also believe that sometimes a marriage should not remain in place for a variety of reasons. So my point is not to cause guilt for anyone. It's to point out that marriage is too an area of stewardship for those of us who are married. Then there's the topic of being a steward with children, family members, and friends. This is a tough one during the holidays, isn't it? (laughs) Much of what I have to say reflects on what already has been said, I mean, you're gonna see that this principle applies to all areas of life. Does it all belong to God or not? Do our children, our family members, our extended family members, our in laws, our friends? To what extent do we carefully, intentionally, and responsibly manage our children, our relationships with our family members, our friends, as if God is entrusting each person in each of those categories to our care? Do I believe God is entrusting my children to my care? Do I believe God is entrusting my friends to my care? On his behalf. Do we see people in each of these categories? Do we see our children? Yes, even our teenage children is possessing the spirit of God within. Sometimes not. (laughs) But the more we accept and embrace the truth that God's spirit is within children, friends, and family members, the more effective we will be able to approach inevitable conflict, challenges, and differing points of view. And the more we become stewards, the more intimate such relationships become, because when we view children and friends and family members as carrying the presence of God, we become selfless. And the more we see each person as belonging to God, the more listening and empathy and loving acceptance will characterize our interactions. Just a few more here. How about our jobs and vocations? We treat our jobs and vocations as if they, too, belong to God. Here's what Paul wrote about the subject. All kinds of things are handed out by God's Spirit to all kinds of people. Everybody's given something to do. Everybody is given a gift. And Paul goes on to write that everyone's gifts are of equal importance, just like different parts of the body. All body, body parts are invaluable. What Paul's saying is that all of us here today have been given gifts and talents and abilities by God. Some of these talents we use in our jobs, some we use in other settings. But the point is that all of what we do comes from God and not one of us is more important than another. We're all interdependent. That is why whether we are a plumber, a baker, or a candlestick maker, they're all magnificent gifts from God. And to be a steward knows we know where our talents and gifts come from. And when we know where our gifts come from, The more humbly we will share our gifts with others, willingly. The more we'll come to understand there's no such thing as an unimportant job. And the more we'll embrace the truth that there is value and tragedy and meaning within whatever it is that we and all other human beings do. Imagine how great a place of work would be if everybody thought everybody's job. It was a gift from God and handed out by God, and all were interdependent parts. <coughs> and we accept that our talents and gifts belong to God. We end up living with greater gratitude, and we ultimately are working each and every day to serve people rather than to gain something for ourselves. How about money? Oh boy. One source. It's noted there are only over 2,300 verses in Scripture about money. 2,300 verses. Do you know that some of the subjects that churches are dividing over in the United States are basing the division on eight verses? Money is talked about in 2,300 verses, which do you think is more relevant. Jesus talked about money roughly 15% of the time. It was his most often talked about subject. Why? 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 Why do you talk about money so much? More often than not, our relationship with money is not simple. Frequently, there are layers of reactions, histories of successes and failures, worldly pressures, realities to deal with, fears we try to economically assuage, cultural messages to deal with. I struggle with money and my relationship with it. But I realize that money is a tool, not an end game. It's the means, not the end. And I know in my own life when I've been most disciplined with money, most faithful in how money is spent and more importantly shared, it comes from the place of accepting that it's all God's. It is as my late dad said 20 years ago, remember Robert, a funeral shroud has no pockets. It's interesting, but many people have told me that the more they embrace the truth that it's all God's, the more they have lives of fiscal discipline, healthy accounting, Freedom from angst and debt. And Jesus expressed profound wisdom and truth when he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our checkbooks, our credit cards, our credit card statements, and our debts all point to what we value in life. All of these things are like an x-ray. They show precisely where we put our energy, our attention, and our passions. And I want to wrap with this. Think about stewardship in this way. You and I are God's stewards here on earth. But God is your steward and God is my steward for eternity. Every single part of who you are and who I am belongs to God. The good, bad, sour, happy, joyful, joyful, thrilled, excited, dour, pained, hurt, angry, afraid, unforgiving, forgiving, faithful, self-centered, get it right, get it wrong. All these parts of who we are belong to God. We are all God's cherished possession. There's no part of you that does not belong to God and no part of your life that does not belong to God. And why this is important to point out is because it means that when we are hurt or struggling or in deep pain that we can't get out of or challenged or feeling overwhelmed, We don't have to manage it alone because God will, because God is our steward. Think about that. We don't have to deal with it alone. God is our steward. That's why Jesus said, Bring it to me. We belong to God, so it means that God cares for our pain too. So, back to the question with which we started. How does God call us to live? It's a big question. I think, though, when I turn on the news, that I think my response needs to be to remember that everything and every single human being on this earth belongs to God. And my response is to act that way and feel that way. And talk that way. Simple and easy? Absolutely not. Life transforming? You bet. Because the more we live like a steward, the more I trust that each of us will encounter joy, peace, trust, release, confidence, forgiveness, humility, wisdom, security, a sense of purpose, a life giving a sense of service, gratitude, lack of fear, hope, and most of all, love. And the great thing about being a steward is the more we act like a steward, the more how we're acting will begin to spread into the lives of other people, like a ripple from a stone tossed into a pond. And so I invite us now to a few moments of silence and prayer and just to pray to God about whatever it is that came up for you in the last few minutes and to pray to God about that, to talk to God about it, and let us pray.